Thank you, David. And good morning. I'm, uh, my name's Simon, and we're going to have some fun with a very difficult passage. <laughs> Many of us are familiar with it, uh, but before we get into the passage, a familiar saying you've probably heard before is that it is all fun and games until somebody gets hurt or somebody loses an eye. <laughs> My uh, my son years ago, actually this was at Araluan, um, had a pencil thrown at him, and uh, somehow it was perfectly flipped so that it went into his eye and back out. Uh, it's all fun and games until someone gets hurt or someone loses an eye. One of the hints that you might be an adult is that you find yourself saying this more than it is said to you. Uh, so for me, uh, you know. Occasionally, we're still saying it to our kids, but especially when the young cousins are around. You know, kids just work themselves up and they just have so much fun, almost hurting each other, almost hurting themselves. And uh, out comes that saying. But there is something fun about playing on the line, isn't there? Uh, so many memories. I remember uh, this wasn't at this church, this was down in Adelaide. Uh, one of my mates head coming through the plasterboard wall at Sunday school uh, uh, just because you know we were having so much fun wrestling. Um, I remember uh, racing down Tank Hill. This is on Larapinta Drive, 10 years old, uh, with uh, a young guy, Chris Higgins. Some of you might remember the Higgins family. And anyway, racing down there, getting speed wobbles, coming over the top of the handlebars, and then uh, five weeks of daily dressings at Alice Springs Hospital. Gravel for years in my upper leg. Um, skateboarding is a great example. Uh, it's fun just to roll around on a skateboard. But for some reason, if you get into skateboarding, you're always trying to have a little bit more fun by doing something just a little bit more difficult or dangerous. Uh, so I have two fake front teeth, thanks to skateboarding. Um, it was all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Mountain biking, I don't want to get into mountain biking because of this phenomenon. When I get into something, I get into it properly. And uh, so I think, you know, yeah, I could have fun riding on this bike, on this wonderful trail, but after a while it's not so much fun. You want to go a little bit faster, a little bit steeper. A little bit more technical until someone gets hurt. So many of you would know uh, Amius, who is uh, a uh, good friend of many of us. And he's passionate about mountain biking. I still laugh every time I think about this clip of him doing a front flip down a hill on his bike, which he didn't land on the wheels, obviously, uh, because it was all fun and games until someone gets hurt. Well, in the beginning, in this series, uh, as we look at Genesis 3 this morning, these, this, well, these chapters, but this chapter too, says so much. These chapters are foundational as uh, Christians uh, to our understanding of the world, our place in it, God's place, and where we find ourselves today. There is so much in here. Uh, that could be explored, discussed, debated, 
but this morning, will you join me as we look to highlight some timeless truths out of Genesis 3. So let's take a read. Uh, in your Bibles, often we'll have the subtitle, The Fall. Well, we're not talking about a skateboarding or mountain biking fall. We're talking about something else. So if we can flip to that slide and I'll just read uh, from my Bible. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it or touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you won't surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Then they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. The Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, well, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I am naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate. Great excuse maker there. <laughs> The Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, much more honestly, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the other animals, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in conception and childbirth. Your pain, in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. To Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the grass of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. And also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made clothes of skin and clothed them. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. 
Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to the ground from which he was taken. And so he drove out the man, he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. So there is a lot in there. From Genesis 1 and 2 in the creation accounts, we know that everything that God had created was good. We know that God thought of people not just as good, but very good as the pinnacle of his creative work. Made in the image of God himself, image bearers. There's this sense in Genesis 1 and 2 that Everything in the creation was created by God, but that people in particular were created for God. And for Adam and Eve and the children that they were to have, life was going to be fun and great. In fact, more important even than fun, life was designed to be full. All the food they could ask for. No enemies to worry about. No drought. No pests. No COVID. No wars. No death. Morning and afternoon walks with God in the garden. They lacked for nothing. And then... In chapter 3, we discover two things that might surprise us. There is a tree and there is a talking serpent. The tree isn't unusual in that there's lots of trees around, but this one and only this one can be looked at but not eaten from or touched It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's hard to imagine how with a whole earth full of trees that this one tree could somehow be a genuine temptation to even go near. (laughs) But there it is in the garden. God said in Genesis 1 and 2 that the creation was good and that tree was in that good creation. That's interesting. Like we're only getting introduced to this tree now, which seems like a bit of a stage or enter stage left extreme risk to the equilibrium of all things perfect. But here is this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's a part of the overall creation and God has declared in Genesis 1 and 2 that it is good. It's at least good that that tree is there. It's a good thing to have in the creation. Then there's also this talking serpent. The talking serpent is described as being crafty more crafty than anything else that had been created. And still today, the enemy or the deceiver is exactly like that. One of his names being the father of lies. 
It's interesting that in God's design, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was always going to exist. It was always going to be there. It's also interesting to consider that the serpent would always be there. It's interesting that this serpent, this crafty serpent, can exist in the creation yet have absolutely no power or influence over it except for what that serpent could influence people made in the image of God to do in disobedience or rebellion or ignorance to the word of God. There's this, if you think about this for a second, if the serpent was unsuccessful at tempting Adam and Eve that day. He would have just tried again a year later. Or maybe Adam and Eve would be so strong that then the serpent would be having a chat to Cain and Abel or to Noah or Moses. Because that same serpent had a word to Jesus too. Tempting Jesus. So, why? Because this tells us so much about the nature and the character of God. That if a creation can be good and yet in that creation there is this opportunity for extreme risk, I'm going to use the term, for all of that to be tainted, for all of that to be spoiled, if a man or a woman was to eat of that fruit. And we're not just going to have a tree sitting there, we will allow the serpent to talk in that creation and to have some kind of communication or conversation with this man and woman. And, you know, I I think it's a conclusion we're aware of, but this tells us that God freely loves and wants us to freely Love him. God is not a God of control and a God who is hungry for power. A God is hungry for connection with his creation. And you cannot have uh, that without there being a choice, without there being free will. In fact, God could not have even declared that we were made in the image of God without giving us a will to exercise because that is one of the very essential uh, characteristics of God, that he has a will that he exercises that is different to an animal that behaves on instinct. And you and I are different in that, in that we have a will to exercise. What an amazing God. There's another... uh, Oops, sorry, let's not jump ahead too far. Let's not jump ahead too far. So he wanted us to choose and to love and to trust. I remember chatting to a friend a number of years ago. My kids would have been about six and eight years old. And, uh, you know, I don't know, we were just talking, to be honest. And uh, then all of a sudden it hits me that uh, the grip that I have on my children's world is crumbling. (laughs) And they're only like six and eight. And then I think forwards a little bit and realize 
actually far out. It's not going to be long and I'm actually not going to be able to control anything about what they choose to do with their life. Here I am, their father, with 26 more years lived experience than them and I know what's best for them, as every father and mother does, but I cannot enforce it. And I felt so powerless. As they get older, these other influences, even though many are good, some are also crafty like the serpent. They're going to creep in. And I wept. I wept. As I let go and realised how much I needed the grace of God as a dad. And that is just like a micro-insight, a micro-insight into the father heart of God as he, in this chapter, isn't just looking at the creation with the possibility of something going wrong or something evil taking place, but actually right before his eyes, his beloved, Adam and Eve, have done the one thing, the one thing that he had commanded them not to do. It's all fun and games until someone gets hurt. So just want us to think too, at the time for Adam and Eve, like just eating that fruit must have seemed like such a small thing. If it was a big thing, like when you think about the big decisions that you've made in life, sometimes there's a bit of a pause, like you might think about it for a week or a month. Some things we even think about for a year before we follow through. And here in the store, we get a picture of a much shorter conversation. But maybe the serpent did a great job at convincing Adam and Eve it won't be that bad. It's not that much of a bigger deal. And I suppose I just want us to pause for a moment and just think about the way that the enemy is so good at helping us to expand our comfort zone with sin. For most of us, the enemy isn't out there trying to encourage us to murder someone because that would just be ridiculous. But wherever you're at in your life experience of sin, I have no doubt that the enemy would love you to just go one step further, a little bit deeper, just one more look just one little grudge or maybe just one more week or month with that little grudge. Just keep back a little more. You never know when you might need it. You'll be okay without Christian community. It's about you and Jesus anyway, isn't it? Did God really say? Even to Jesus, there's Satan saying, just one little miracle. Another innocent and helpful suggestion from the same father of lies. Fortunately, Jesus saw that for what it was. I don't know what the little compromise is or the little temptation is or the little suggestion is for you, but you know and God's Spirit knows. And I want to encourage you that from this story, we can be reminded that sometimes what seems like a little thing is actually a big thing.
Still working? Great. Before I disconnected the battery. Uh, and potentially some of those little things could have big impacts in our lives today. Or for our kids, or for the community that we're a part of, or whatever. There's another saying. The horse has bolted. At the start of that saying, there's something to do with a barn door. You know, no, no, no use closing the barn door once the horse has bolted. Um, but the horse has bolted. What has happened when the horse has bolted? It's too late now. <laughs> when the horse has bolted, something has happened that is the precursor or the start of a sequence of events then uh, taking place post the bolting. So Adam and Eve, they've eaten the fruit. Their hearts, the eyes, I should say, of their hearts and their minds are open to understand what it is to do evil as well as good. They're feeling conscious of their nakedness. They sew together some fig leaves to make coverings for themselves. The fashion industry is born. God explains the far-reaching consequences of Adam and Eve's sin. He curses the serpent. He curses the earth. The death enters the creation. The garden becomes off limits. Struggle and pain enter the human experience. For them and for us and for our kids, for the rest of history, as we know it. Through the Word of God, everything good was created, and at this point in the story, through the Word of God, the consequences of sin are established for the creation. At this point, it can seem like Genesis 3 is essentially about consequence and condemnation. This might be exactly how the serpent wants us to read it. If we don't explore any further or think any further, there's a chance that the serpent can use this passage to whisper in our ear, see, see what God is like. Now we can read Genesis 3 and think, whoa, those consequences are a bit harsh, aren't they, just for eating a piece of fruit? Or we could think, God, you're merciful. Why, why, didn't, you, why didn't you say that was a practice run? And, you know, sort of warn them again and it would never happen maybe. I couldn't believe my son, he plays this game called Forza, which is like a car racing game. And what you can do in Forza is you can crash your car or take a wrong line, like the, the non-perfect racing line, and there's this button you can press that reverses the whole thing to a point where you are back on track and so you can redo it as many times as you want until you just get it perfect. This thought, <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh, it's not how computer games were when I was growing up. Um, but this is the thing, right? So, so why couldn't God do that? You know, he has everything in his hands, couldn't we? You know, all these things that go through our mind. Why couldn't God? Why didn't God? Maybe God should have. Well, let's look at what God did do. The way that God deals with Adam and Eve's nakedness is mind-blowing in my mind. 
the contrast between the fig leaves and the skin of the animal for clothing as a means to dealing with the sin and or the shame of Adam and Eve is so powerful. Romans 5.20, the law was brought in so that sin might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Think about these fig leaves. Adam and Eve are panicking and they're just looking for anything that they can find. The fig leaf is probably the biggest leaf in their vicinity, so they grab it and they sew it together however they can. And in another two or three days' time, they would have had to find more fig leaves and sew more fig leaves together because they would have wilted on their skin, literally. They would have been nice and green and lush and doing their job and then they would have got kind of dry and brown and scratchy and withered away. The fig leaves were readily available. They weren't going to last long before having to be remade or redone. Frankly, not that comfortable, but represents spiritually for us an attempt at covering their shame in their own strength and wisdom. Any other system or uh, religion or way of thinking or worldview that deals with the problem of human shame through our own work is like putting fig leaves on a bigger problem. And yet he is God because of who he is. In an act of grace, he makes clothes for them from animal skins. What's different about these clothes? Well, first, that blood needed to be shed to make that possible. There is a pattern throughout Scripture which this story points to right from the start. That there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Hebrews 9.22. Leviticus talks a bit about this as well. Ultimately, Jesus demonstrates this also. But this is the first blood that is shed as a result of our sin. The skin of the animal, it's durable and it's long-lasting. It is more comfortable and suitable, but also represents the superiority of God's wisdom and grace in dealing with our shame. And the garments that they received from God were gifts. God didn't even say, hey, well, now you're going to have to go kill an animal. Guys, I've got a better way. Like, I see what you've done with the fig leaves. It's a good attempt, but there's a better way. And that would be to go and kill an animal and then I'll show you how to make your own garments. God does all the work and he gifts these garments to Adam and Eve. So we see in this story the character of God, the serpent, the character of the serpent, the character of you and I or the nature of you and I really hasn't changed much. But in the midst of some very serious and far-reaching consequences for that original sin and disobedience, by our forefather and foremother, we also see God's grace being demonstrated in that moment. With the benefit of history now and knowing what Jesus has accomplished through his perfect life and sin and death and resurrection, something that uh, readers of this story and hearers of this story 
wouldn't have been able to understand, but which is something we might get a glimpse into now, is that even as God is pronouncing the curses and the consequences of their sin, God who is fully given of himself just in bringing about the creation is simultaneously out of time, fully conscious and yet fully willing that to redeem this creation now was going to take him to give everything, even his own son. Pretty amazing. And in doing that, Jesus has redeemed a fallen and tainted creation through his work on the cross. So in the midst of consequence, because God is just, God also demonstrates great grace because God is love. I want to read a few verses from Romans and then we'll finish up. This is Romans 5, verses 12 to 20. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not credited when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the sin of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if by the one man's offence many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, was extended to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one sin resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offences resulted in justification. For if by one man's sin death reigned, how much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offence, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteousness or righteous act, the free gift came to all people, resulting in justification. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Praise be to God.